0: Jeremiah 4 verse 3, this is what the Lord says to the people of Judah and to Jerusalem. Break up your unplowed ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, circumcise your hearts. Let's pray, shall we? Lord God, we ask that you would speak to each one of us this morning. We simply pray, Lord God, would you speak to our hearts. By your Spirit, speak to the very depths of our hearts, we pray. Reorder us as we need reordering. And we pray this for your glory. Amen. In the 1990s, Dr. Ernest Kunst from Harvard University wrote the definitive history of the organization Alcoholics Anonymous. And the title of the book that he wrote, uh, detailing the history of Alcoholics Anonymous, the title of his book was Not God. That was what he called the book Not God. Because he recognized that the most important hurdle for a person who is addicted to any kind of false god, such as alcohol, that the most important hurdle for someone to overcome is to acknowledge deep in their hearts that they are not God, that they're not God. The most important thing that needs to happen is they need to quit playing God themselves and allow God himself to be number one in their hearts, to take the rightful place that only God deserves, being number one in their hearts, that they need, most of all, a reordering of their heart. Now, last week on Vision Sunday, I spoke on... Three types of reordering from that Bible passage that I've just read in Jeremiah chapter 4. Three types of reordering. There was a reordering, firstly, of the ground. As we thought about the year ahead and we thought about what our vision is as a church, three types of reordering that are key for us as a church. The first one, a reordering of the ground, including reordering plans for this very church building. And they're at the back there if you haven't yet looked at them. Secondly, I spoke about a reordering of our ministries saying, actually, what does it look like in our ministries for all of us not to just be passengers on the ship that is HTC but to be crew members getting involved? Is there somewhere that you can actually get involved in a ministry, a fruitful ministry in the life of this church? And I want to say thank you. So many of you last Sunday filled in one of these little blue cards that you'll see in front of us um, just ticking an area where uh, you said, yeah, I can help with this in the coming year. And if um, you weren't here last Sunday, or if you didn't get a chance to fill one of these in last Sunday, I'd love you today to do exactly that, just to have a look at that. Put your name and your email there, and you'll see So on the, on the right-hand side, various tick boxes, if you're saying, actually, I could help in some way in the life of this church in the coming year. Maybe I could help on the hosting team of this service. I could help with the children's groups, whatever it is. Have a look at various of those boxes there, and, tick it, uh, and, and we'll have a chance to hand those in uh, at the end. So I spoke about a reordering of the ground, a reordering of our ministries, and then thirdly, most importantly really, a reordering of our hearts. Each one of us, actually, we need a reordering of our hearts. We need to recognize for ourselves and for any other false god that we might be running after and trying to follow, we need to recognize that we are not God. That we are not God. And our hearts need to be reordered so God takes that number one top spot. You know, it's fascinating to see in Jeremiah, at Jeremiah's time, how he records the reason that God's people back then, how they are chasing after various false gods rather than the true God. I wonder if you just turn back a page. And in chapter 2, what we discover is that Jeremiah says there are four Fs. Four Fs that the people of God, they are running after. This is what they're desiring. When they're chasing after a false god, rather than the one true God, there are four things that they're looking for, four things they're seeking. The first one is fruitfulness. He says, God's people back then, as they're running after a false god, they are wanting to be given physical provision from the false gods that they're looking to worship. So if you look at verse five, it's what God says in verse five. He says, they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves they did not ask where is the lord who brought us up out of egypt and led us through the barren wilderness you see god has provided for god's people time and time again uh, through the wilderness after they left egypt he's provided them again and again and again and yet suddenly god's people are thinking that something other than god will provide for them better and so they're running after these other things for this provision for fruitfulness Second thing that they're chasing after, when they chase after false gods, they're chasing after fulfillment. They are looking for fulfillment. They think that false gods will provide them for them not just externally with more stuff, but actually these false gods will also provide for them internally with more fulfillment in their hearts. So look at uh, how God continues in verse 13 of chapter 2. Look at what verse 13 says. God says, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. So these people, they are looking for spiritual refreshment. They're looking for fulfillment in places other than God. And these places, God says, they're just like broken cisterns. They don't hold water, much like our roof over there, which has been leaking very badly. Um, But um, uh, uh, these false gods, they're like broken cisterns rather than these people going to the one true God who is the spring of living water, constantly bringing fulfillment. Third thing that the people of God are chasing after with these false gods, they're looking to find freedom. They are looking for freedom. They think that God is restrictive, They think that God is repressive. They think that God is regressive. And so God says of them, look at verse 20, such stark words. He says in verse 20 of chapter 2, he says, Long ago you broke off your yoke. You tore off your bonds. You said, I will not serve you. God's people think that they can find freedom. They can find freedom from this restrictive God elsewhere. They can find freedom away from God. And then the fourth thing that they are trying to find as they chase after false gods, back in Jeremiah's time, the fourth thing is that they're trying to find a greater sense of family identity. I think it's staggering this. If you just turn over the page to verse 27 of chapter two, and look at what God says in verse 27. Verse 27, he says that that, that these people, they say to wood, you are my father. And to stone, you gave me birth. As though there's a sort of deeper sense of identity and a deeper sense of belonging when you rush after a false god who back then was an idol just made of stone or wood and and you get more sense of identity, more sense of family belonging from a false god than you do from the god who's created you and the god who calls you into his family as your children. Now for us today, Whilst the context for us in 2019 here in London is very, very different from the context back in Jeremiah's time, 600 BC, I mean, back then, probably the political debate that took place was much more friendly than now, wasn't it? But actually, it may be a different context, but actually today, we still run after those same four things. They're exactly the same. All of us, we are running after, looking for fruitfulness, looking for fulfillment, looking for freedom, looking for family identity. We are trying to obtain these things. And so often we're looking to false gods to try and get them. When reality is that these false gods, they are not God. They are not God. Take Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, her new album, uh, came out earlier this month. It's entitled Lover. And one of her songs in that album, it is entitled, the song is called False God. Okay, It's about her relationship, her romantic relationship with Joe Alwyn. And she sings this. You'll see it there. She sings, religion is in your lips. The altar is in my hips. Even if it's a false god, we'd still worship this love. See what Taylor Swift's saying there? Just look at those words. She's saying that this man, and more specifically their sexual relationship, that is explicitly declared by Taylor Swift to be her false god. But please do not look down on Taylor Swift for those lyrics, because it is not just Taylor Swift who runs after a false god today. We all do. In all sorts of ways, we are no better Back in Jeremiah chapter 2, God summarizes the attitude of his people back then. He says, verse 25, they say, "I love foreign gods and I must go after them. I must." And while Taylor Swift, she is going after a perfect sexual relationship, others of us, we are going after all sorts of other things. Power, popularity, money, status, comfort, you name it. We are all chasing false gods, and all of them, they let us down. Now today as I say, it's Vision Sunday part 2, it's Gift Sunday. And so I want us to particularly to focus on the false god of money. Because we think that money will provide us with those things, that money will provide us with fruitfulness and fulfillment and freedom and family identity. And the truth is money can provide some of those desires in the short term, but it ultimately always lets us down. So we think money will fulfill us. But it ends up the fact that we always want more. We never have enough money. We always want more. It never completely fulfills We think that money will give us such freedom. But if we make it our God, it ends up enslaving us. We're enslaved to the false God of money. We think that we can buy with money access to an identity. Or we can buy into a group that we can find our belonging in. But money can't buy that. And we think that having money means that we are more fruitful. But the reality is life is fragile in all sorts of ways. Suddenly we can find we have nothing. And if we really take a moment to think about it, deep down we know that that is true. Money ultimately lets us down. I happened to be in a, um, earlier this week, in, in a lecture by a professor of philosophy. And right at the start of this lecture, suddenly, sort of out of the blue, he just said this. He said, and I noted down the words, he said, consumerism. He said, consumerism, the belief that having more stuff makes you happy, that is so self-evidentially untrue and a false assumption. How can someone possibly think that that is true? And he's right. A professor of philosophy says that, and he is right. We know it. But so often in our heart of hearts, we do think that. We think that money will give us everything that we desire. And you know, Jesus, he seems to think that money and consumerism is the most common false God that there is, at least judging by how much Jesus speaks about money. Because you look at the New Testament, Jesus speaks more about money than he does about reading the Bible or prayer. You look at the New Testament, Jesus speaks more about money than he does about sexual ethics or our attitude to the poor. Let me give you one thing that Jesus said about money. He said this uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, says Jesus, show me what a person does with their money and I will show you whether they're really living for me or not. He says to examine our spiritual health, to examine somebody else's spiritual health. Jesus says don't judge it on whether that person's in a connect group or they lead on Alpha or they're on the PCC or whatever else it might be. Actually, the best indicator... Of somebody's spiritual health, he says it's to examine our financial giving. Now that is certainly not to say that it is just about the amount of money that we give. No, of course not. Think of the widow that Jesus talks about who just gave two small copper coins, such a small amount, but so sacrificial for her. But what we do see from Jesus is that our attitude to money Your attitude to money, to to giving, it gives us an indicator of the state of our heart and whether our heart actually needs reordering. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So the question for us this morning, each one of us, me, as much as any of you, the question is so simply, where is your heart? Where is your heart? What's going on in your heart? What does your attitude to money and to giving tell you about your heart? Let me, let me try and answer um, two questions today as we're sort of thinking explicitly about our financial giving to HTC today. And the two questions are this, why should we give and how should we give? Okay, first of all, why should we give? On this gift Sunday, the first question to ask is not how much do we need to raise at Holy Trinity Clapham this year. The first question for you to ask is not how much is my disposable income. Now, the first question that any of us need to ask on gift Sunday is do I believe that Jesus Christ loves me? That's the first question to ask. Do I believe Jesus loves me? Because all Christian giving begins with the realisation that God is a giving, self-sacrificing, loving, generous God. That's Jeremiah's message to God's people back then, that God's love is is greater than the hardest heart, deeper than the deepest sin. And you and I being bowled over by God's self-giving love for us, that then replicates itself in our lives and in our own giving. So why give? First reason, it is a response to God's love. Love. God's love for us, above all in giving us Jesus. That's the first reason why to give. It's a response to God's love. Second reason why to give is because it is a recognition of HTC's vision. So it's not wrong to think through the need we have for the finances and what those finances are for. And just as a very quick reminder, if you weren't here last Sunday, to meet our needs for the coming year, we are saying our giving needs to increase next year by an additional £77,000 on this year's giving. So currently this year, thank you to all of you that are contributing, thank you so much, this year's giving will be around £860,000, but we're saying that needs to go up next year by 9%. An extra 77,000 pounds. And that giving is increased to fund a bigger church weekend away in Clapham Sunday next year, to provide seed capital fund for a future church plant, and to further develop several key outreach ministries with things like our Family Fridays ministry. And that figure of 77,000 pounds, it doesn't include the most expensive item of all, which is the reordering of our building. That alone, it's going to cost 3.5 to 4 million pounds. And the cost for this coming year of that, as we prepare for it, the cost for this coming year are going to be around 200,000 pounds to get that project to a point where we can submit the planning applications for the reordering. And so what we're asking each one of us today is to consider whether as well as upping your regular giving, if you currently give, maybe by 9%, that's how much the increase needs to be, up to you, but whether you, as well as upping your regular giving, whether you might also be able to give a one-off amount to this building reordering project to pay for the £200,000 needed for this planning phase over the next year. Above all, what I hope you can see, I hope you can see that all that we are looking to spend in the next year, all of it, is with the aim of supporting our vision as a church to see more and more lives in South London bearing fruit for Jesus Christ. So why give? Firstly, it's out of a response to God's love. Secondly, it's a recognition of HTC's vision. And then the third reason, why should we give? Why should you or I give? It is because it leads to a reordering of our hearts. As we give, it leads to a reordering of our hearts. A few verses after, Jesus says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. He says this. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, my wife, Susanna, uh, she has a British passport, and she has an Australian passport. And as much as she likes to claim that she has allegiance to both of them, you only have to watch her when England and Australia are playing rugby to know that Australia is her master. Tragically, it is a false god, I rebuke it, we're trying to get rid of it, but Australia is this false god that is her master. Now even when we beat the Aussies, as we invariably will in a few weeks' time, Australia is still her master. She cannot serve both England and Australia. And you know, it's exactly the same with God and money. We cannot serve both God and money. It is impossible. And by giving, as we give money away, by giving, we are involved in a process with God, a process of reordering our hearts, getting the order right. Because giving, it is an act of worship. As we give, we are issuing a declaration that our trust is in God and in His control over all our resources. We are saying that we trust God as the one who will provide us with fulfillment and freedom and fruitfulness and family identity. He provides it. None of these false gods can. And so, giving, giving away, it is the best way of breaking the grip that money has on us and keeping money in its rightful place, not as our master. But further down the pecking order. As we give, it reorders our hearts aright. So that's why we give a response to God's love, a recognition of HTC's vision, and because it reorders our hearts. And really, the next question we go, once we said why should we give, if we're convinced by those three reasons, I am. Then the next question, very practically, we need to think through is how should I give? How should we give? And the bottom line is, in terms of how we should give, yet again, it is totally connected to our hearts. Uh, Paul, uh, writing to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, he says this. He's talking about financial giving, and he says this. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful life giver so how should you give number one you should give with a pressure-free heart real christian giving it should never be commanded and pressurized that verse there it says that our giving should not be reluctantly or under compulsion giving it is up to you but the answer to avoiding pressure in giving is not to provide no opportunity to give but to provide planned, unpressurized opportunity. And that is what this time of the year is. We we don't talk about financial giving very much here at HDC. Some people say we should talk about it far more. We don't talk about it that much, but unashamedly, we do talk about it at least once a year now, today. We make our financial plans known, and we did that last week. On Vision Sunday, I tried to do that last week. And then this Sunday, we are inviting you who are trusting in Jesus, you who say, this is the church that I'm a part of, we're inviting you to say, please, would you either give now through our online direct debit giving system, or would you pledge now, if you've already got a standing order with us, would you pledge uh, what you're going to give and then change it with your bank? So how to give. Give with a pressure-free heart. Secondly, give with a generous heart. Give with a generous heart. The Bible has a suggestion for giving. It's 10%. 10% of our income, what's known as tithing. Uh, Now, for some, that is a struggle to give that much. For others, it's not even noticeable. Now, I know of someone in the congregation who I've happened, they've come to me and they've wanted to talk about their financial giving with me. They give 30% of their income away because they don't need it all. So when somebody asks, well, how much should I give? I don't think there is a set answer. There isn't a set answer. But every bit of giving that we give, it is important. Some can give more and some can give less. And that is totally okay. Please do not feel guilty if you can't give loads. Give what you can. But I would say this. This verse says, it says we should give what we have decided in our hearts to give. And elsewhere, the Bible talks, it talks about giving sacrificially. So whatever you or I, whatever we've decided, if, if whatever we've decided, actually the truth is we end up not really noticing how much we're giving. If we end up just the money sort of slips out of our bank account each month and it doesn't really make much difference to us, then actually, probably, we should be giving more. We should be giving sacrificially so we notice it. You know, the thing that has helped me most in getting a sort of a theological understanding uh, on what it looks like to be a generous giver, uh, the thing that's helped me most is this uh, masterpiece here. It's called Little Croc's Purse. Some of you have heard me talk about Little Croc's Purse before if you've been in the church for a while, but it is a brilliant book for three to five-year-olds, and really what happens in Little Croc's Purse is Little Croc comes into a windfall. Little Croc gets an amount of money. You can see the purse. It's full of money. Suddenly, Little Croc has this money and isn't sure what to do, it, do with it. How should he use that money? And so what Little Croc does is he decides to go to a cafe to celebrate having the money and to decide what to do with it. And in the cafe, he orders a freshly squeezed lemonade, three envelopes, and a pencil. And as he's there in the cafe, he gets his three envelopes and a pencil, and he writes on his three envelopes. And he writes these three words. He writes spend on the first envelope, save on the second envelope, and share on the third envelope. Very simple. And he decides how much of his amount of money in that purse he's going to put in each of those three envelopes. And really, that is the application for each one of us. As we think through, what does it look like to give with a generous heart? It is thinking through, how do we divide our income? However we get that income, how do we divide it between those three envelopes of spend, save, and share? I'll tell you how it is for us as a family at the moment. Most of it goes in the spend envelope basically nothing goes in the save envelope. I wish it did. No, it's a slight lie. This year, my great uncle died, and in his will, uh, I didn't know it, but there was a small pot of money uh, that came to me, which was amazing. So so, so that has gone in there, although I must admit we've spent quite a bit of it and we've shared quite a bit of it already, but a little bit goes in the save envelope as well. And then about 10% uh, of our income goes in the share envelope. And of that bit that goes in the share envelope, uh, the vast majority of that, we give to HTC. And we do that because with sort of uh, big charities, all sorts of people can give to big charities, but we know that actually for HTC, it's only going to be people who, uh, who are in the church, us, you, who are going to give to HTC. So we give the lion's share of that envelope to HTC. And so really what I want to say to each one of us today is as we think about this and think about giving with a generous heart, is there a way that we can reduce what is in our spend envelope or reduce what is in our save envelope or even reduce what is in both of those envelopes? Can we do that so that we might increase what is in our share envelope? Can we do that? It will involve sacrifice. But can we do that? Can we increase what is in there? That is what we have looked to do, as Susanna and I have talked about it. We've looked to increase the percentage of our income that will go into the share envelope and will give to HTC this year. And we've looked to give a one-off donation to the building fund as well. How about you? How are you going to divide your income up between spend, save, and share? So how should we give? We should give with a pressure-free heart, with a generous heart, and then thirdly and finally, we should give with a cheerful heart. With a cheerful heart. Literally, you see there, it's God loves a cheerful giver. Literally, that is, God loves a hilarious giver. If you cannot give without a smile on your face, please don't give at all. God loves a cheerful giver. And so as I close, literally, there are challenges for all of us with a day when we're thinking about giving and thinking about money, of course, there are challenges. We are not God. That is a challenge. Our hearts, they need reordering because we cannot serve both God and money. That is a challenge. Giving sacrificially, it is a challenge. It means we need to operate at a lower standard of living than we would do otherwise. So there are challenges of today. Of course, there are. But also, giving is such a joy. Because we can never outgive God. Our giving, it is not just a pragmatic response to an appeal. It is not so much the calculated thriftiness of an accountant, but it is more like the exuberant extravagance of a lover. And you know, unlike Taylor Swift's lover, the one that we love, he is the one and only true God. He is not a false God. He is the one alone who truly satisfies all our heart's desires. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are the one who truly satisfies our heart's desires. Not any false God, not money, but you. So Father, we come before you this morning. We say, please forgive us. Forgive us for how often we find ourselves chasing after the false God of money. And we pray now that by your spirit, you might reorder our hearts in line with your heart. Pray that you reorder our hearts where we've been trying to serve both you and money. Lord God, do that deep work in our hearts, we pray, so that we might be people who treasure you most of all. Lord Jesus, those words you said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Please help us to be those that treasure you most of all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.